0: welcome to empower humans welcome again to the empower humans podcast this is episode 90 day 19 of our continuing coronavirus coverage and commentary but huge show today two years that we've uh, had this podcast go i can't believe it two years have flown by also we have the incredible laura gassner odding uh back for a second time we did an interview with her a little while back about a year ago uh when we were about one year uh into the podcast and uh, I want to remind you, as always, up front, we'll get into all this stuff and then get into the interview, you are absolutely priceless, you're never alone, don't let anyone convince you otherwise, don't let anything convince you otherwise, especially this time if you have lost a job, if you're dealing with all kinds of hardships or just frustration and kind of uh, the unknown and a little bit of fear or a lot of fear or whatever the case might be, you are absolutely priceless, and especially right now, you are absolutely not alone. So keep all that in mind, you know, as I think about two years having this podcast, I was scared. And one day I sat down, I actually did a couple of interviews, probably spaced out about a couple months apart. And, uh, finally I sat down to do a couple, you know, things on my own as well, which ended up becoming episode one. And, and so on, and one and two, and then we had an interview after that. And you can go back to the beginning and kind of see where we started. And uh, but I just had to sit down one day and press record, and of course start talking and make some calls and send some emails and set up some interviews. And since then, we've interviewed incredible people like Laura Gassner Otting, uh, famous musicians, filmmakers, authors. We've interviewed. Uh, the author of uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, with uh, his co author of a new book called uh, The Boy Crisis. All kinds of things from bullying to music to motivation and leadership and coaching and training and all kinds of things we've covered in this podcast and just general success principles. I believe and I hope that we've brought you value. I'm not going to make this so self-serving. I'm going to leave it at that. But again, happy birthday to the podcast. Go eat some cake for me today for the podcast and for you, uh, for all of us. Uh, Let's celebrate that. Um I want to talk about the just touch on some details with this coronavirus as it continues to develop and the situation there. Let's start by talking about the numbers real quick. 1,343,557 confirmed cases, 74,626 deaths. Wow. And of that over 278,000 have recovered. And uh, we talk about Italy, 132,000 confirmed cases, 16,000 deaths, which is well over 10 to 12 percent uh, of the folks there have died, have passed away with this virus, and a lot of open cases still. Uh, Spain, same same situation, 136,675 cases, 13,341 deaths, which is over 10 percent. Now, in the U.S., 364,885 uh, cases, and uh, well over 10,000. We've actually uh, now approached almost 12,000 deaths. Um, So we're at a time where, again, we touched on this the other day. People are saying this is going to be our Pearl Harbor, our 9-11 moment as it concerns this particular challenge. And I believe we're going to come together just like we did in those times. I love – even though these are difficult times – I love seeing what humanity is capable of. In fact, I want to touch on something here that I saw the other day from our friend Katie Couric uh, on Instagram. She shared a video, and you don't even need to see the video. You can go to her Instagram page. Um, it's last week. It's about 9, 10 posts down as of this recording. Uh, but it, she's showing uh, fire department uh Folks, firefighters, essentially uh, coming outside a hospital and cheering. So I want you to to listen to that for a second, and uh, we'll we'll just play about five seconds of it because it might be a little overwhelming <laughs> audibly. But here it is. Okay, it's a little bit longer than that. There's some visual of uh, a bunch of fire trucks lined up. They were outside of New York University Langdon Medical Center. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They blared their sirens. They had a standing ovation in gratitude for these medical professionals working and helping in essentially the epicenter in the United States, at least, of this coronavirus pandemic. And uh, I couldn't agree with them more. I wish I could be there to stand with them to support and extend love to these medical professionals. If you're one of those people, or share this podcast with those people, because uh, we're so grateful for everything that they're doing. Sacrifices galore. Some people I've heard of people sleeping in their garage to stay away from their family uh, to be able to serve and help these communities out there. Um, so go watch that video. I'll also, like I said, on Katie Kirk's Instagram page. Uh, I want to touch on another thing that I saw. Now, this is based on some material we're hearing about this hydroxychloroquine, I believe it's called. And uh, I'm going to read you a little something here real quick. There's a Los Angeles doctor, Dr. Anthony Cardillo, an ER specialist, I'm reading here, and CEO of Mend Urgent Care, has been prescribing the combination of drugs to patients experiencing severe symptoms of the disease. This is hydrochloroquine and zinc after contracting the novel novel coronavirus. Every patient I've prescribed it to, this is a quote, has been very, very ill. And within 8 to 12 hours, they were basically symptom-free, Cardillo said in an interview Sunday with the KABC-TV. So clinically, I'm seeing a resolution. He added that combining the drug with zinc has been the key to the success. The hydrochloroquine, he said, opens the zinc channel, allowing the zinc to enter the cell, which then blocks the replication of cellular machinery. Cardillo was careful to note that the drug should only be prescribed for patients who are extremely sick and in urgent need so as to not blow through the limited supply of the drug, which is used to treat other illnesses as well. So food for thought there. Do some research. I just want to throw that out there. I'm trying to throw out uh, pieces of value for each and every one of us as as we get through this. We will get through this. I'm seeing glimmers of light as I look at the news and do my own research and uh, watch these numbers and these curves hopefully flatten. There are folks who aren't really abiding by some of the measures with social distancing and stuff, but I think uh, by and large, for the most part, most people are, including our friend Laura Uh, Nice transition there, right? She came to us via Zoom uh, through uh, from her home, actually in Boston, and I'm here in Las Vegas. Beautiful, we can do these things these days and communicate all over the world. Um, I want to point out to Uh, I'm still working on my audio with Zoom. So my audio was a little bit uh, off. But uh, thankfully, she did most of the talking for a whole bunch of reasons, thankfully, because she's well, (laughs) she's a lot more articulate and smart than me. And uh, I'm also part of a beta group. And we're almost done. We're going to get to the interview in about 20 seconds for she has a course, a limitless course based on her book, which is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody carve your own path, and live your best life. So watch for that course. We're going to talk a little bit about all that and uh, all the things related to the coronavirus and some of the principles in the course and stuff as well, consonants and all these things. So look for that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, she's going to explain all of it. So here we go with our interview uh, with Laura gassner and happy birthday to the podcast and keep uh, staying strong and positive, everybody. Oh, by the way, our challenge is study, make great moments, and let's keep doing this podcast together. Here we go. Welcome everybody. We got LGO in the house. Well, not in the house, we're on the screen here today. <laughs> but in her house and me in my house across the country. It's beautiful. We can do these things these days. How you doing, Laura?
1: I'm doing I'm doing as well as can be expected. Everybody's healthy, everybody's happy. We are taking it day by day.
0: Yeah. And and for those who don't know, LGO, everyone should know by now, Laura Gassner Odding, but it's somewhat long name and LGO is just a nice it's like it's like Madonna or something. But- <laughs> You're far above uh, that realm. Now, uh, you, now, you're from the East Coast originally, or where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Miami, Florida. So I live in Boston now, but I spent my formative years. I was born in New York, but my formative years in Miami. So I am a, I'm an East Coast kind of girl.
0: Okay, cool. And you put I out this book.
1: California, though.
0: Yeah, me too. I lived there for a little while. I've, I'm in Vegas now, but uh, <laughs> I do, uh, I do love the West Coast. I haven't spent as much time in the East. My whole life's pretty much been in the West, so... But I've been back, I haven't been to Boston. How how are things in Boston these days with everything going on?
1: Well, so we are about a week ahead of other parts of the country. So I think it, it, the coronavirus hit pretty hard in California and we were a few days behind California. Uh, we're not quite uh, where New York City is because obviously we don't have its quite close quarters, but I think mm. it's sort of hitting the coast and then it's kind of working its way, working its way in sort of big cities hitting first. So um, I'm on a text chain with my mother in Florida, my sister in Texas and my cousin who lives in Georgia. And just based on that very, very wow. small sample set, I can say that we're about a week ahead of where they are because the things that I'm telling them, go out and make sure you do this. They're like, oh, I should have got out and done that a week ago. Yeah, so
0: you're a little bit ahead of the curve but you've got you've got communication at different little strategic points in the country to see what's going on too. Yeah. Um, any any uh, tidbits from any of these other places as well places like Texas and down south and stuff or are you getting any insights from these people about what's going on cuz different well, different places.
1: Yeah, they're in different places and I also think that the political um sensibilities in those places are different also. So, you know, my sister in yeah. Texas tells me that her friends are making sure that they've got guns and ammo in case people raid their houses. And you know, yeah. my, my <laughs> uh my my mom who lives in Florida is talking about all the young people that are still going to the beaches and of course she's older and lives Uh, you know, she's not, you know, she's in her seventies, so she's not like at the independent living facility age, but she's also not, you know, got kids in the house. So, you know, she's talking about all of her friends and their grandkids and who's visiting who and, and, and whether or not they could go on their cruise. And my cousin, who's in Atlanta, who runs a manufacturing company is, of course, apoplectic about supply chain and whether or not the business is going to still survive after this is all over. So they're all in very different places based on what they're thinking and also what their neighbors are thinking.
0: Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. That's funny what you say about Texas. I grew up next to Texas in New Mexico, so a little, little Albuquerque. Well, comparatively, it's a big city, but not really. <laughs> but we know the Texas mentality a little bit. Um, so with everything going on in your world, how are you guys handling this uh I guess, quarantine, social distancing, like, like, do you go out at all? Some people still are going out. Some people aren't, you're not as, as strict, I guess, as New York.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we don't have like a shelter in place in your homes, but all schools and non-essential businesses are all closed until May 4th here as of yesterday from the governor. It's kind of like um, a fellow uh, friend in the speaking industry was describing it as. It's like when you're waiting for your delayed flight, and every hour they're like, "It's going to be another hour." And yeah. Forty-five minutes, they're like, "And sorry, folks, we need to do another thing, and it's going to be another hour." And I just feel like we're sort of. It was April. Now it's May. Maybe it'll be June. And then I just saw that in Canada, Justin Trudeau said that they are looking to like at least you know through you know June or July that they're going to be doing social distancing. I had not been going out that much. We, we moved from weekly grocery shopping to getting Instacart delivered for like two weeks of groceries. So our entire mm-hmm. porch was covered in, in, in groceries. We learned that you can freeze milk which is good because I have teenage boys in the house. So, you know, teenage yeah. boys are very unhappy when they can't have cereal and milk. You can take anything else away <laughs> from them, but cereal and milk, do not take that away from your teenage boys. Or you will have a mutiny on your hands.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And
1: <laughs> I still have been going outside to exercise. So, you know, I can run by myself. I don't live that far from the Harvard stadium. So you could go to the stadium and be a section away from somebody else. So I feel like it's possible I don't know if it's probable, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility that we might have some of the same restrictions that you see in places like Europe, where it's like you can only go outside your home for an hour a day and you can only go to a certain place and you can only be in your yard or things like that. And I feel like until we get to that point, I'm not going near other human beings, hmm. but I also want to make sure that on any day where it's not pouring rain, I go outside.
0: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. and. and- yeah you know, I got boys too but they're not teenagers they're 8 and 10 at the moment and but they still eat their cereal and but we don't see I'm in Las Vegas and the interesting thing in Vegas everyone knows the Las Vegas strip and everything but it's all I was down there a couple times for various must reasons be
1: crazy what that must look yeah. like right
0: now Well there's still cars up and down cuz the streets aren't closed but yeah all the hotels they've got police barricades at like the entrances you can't go in the garages and the mall down there by the wind and other stuff it's, it's all gone. I know lots of people lost jobs. I mean, tens of thousands of people just in Vegas, but millions and millions across the country.
1: Well, and um, Vegas is interesting because, you know, Vegas is not just hit by, not just hit by tourism, um, but it's also hit by, you know, and it's hit by the economy. So if people don't have extra money, they're not going to go, they're not going to gamble. But it's yeah. also, you know, my industry, the events industry, you know, as a professional speaker and as an author, yeah. I'm in Vegas multiple times a year, speaking and the midweek business for them all of these events it's not just when will we be able to travel again when will we be able to get together in groups of more than you know 10 people again but what about the insurance uh, business and when will the insurance companies want to underwrite these large conferences. So it's one thing if you have mm. a corporate conference where it's all in-house people that are all in your building and you're bringing in a speaker to talk to them. But what about these associations? I think there's plenty of associations that are gonna go under because their big annual events every year are their major source of income. So if they can't bring people together because people don't wanna travel or because right. there's you know government restrictions or because they can't get the insurance to underwrite the event if in case they get sued because somebody doesn't wash their hands once and suddenly we have a break on one thousand people. So, you know, I think it's going to be years before we see anything even approaching normal, especially in places like Vegas.
0: Mm. Yeah. I hope it's not that way. Cause I see a lot of people already suffering and not, and uh,
1: I think the sound just went out. Uh,
0: come up with an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. Um, and, uh-oh, we're losing your connection a little nope, bit. Nope,
1: I got you back again.
0: There you go. Okay. <laughs> this, it is what it is. Here we are. Uh, we, thankfully, we all still have internet, uh, more or less, at least today, because uh, we can do things like this and Netflix and so on. But uh, wh- what do you think is going to come of all this? Because I watch people stepping up. I watch these cruise lines who've suffered greatly stepping up, saying, look, we've got f- cruise ships we can bring into port and use as hospitals of sorts. And the interesting thing, this uh, Indivisible one nation kind of thing because I have a I, I don't want to be too long winded. I have a great aunt who built airplanes during World War II, she just turned a hundred and she built airplanes for 70 years into her 90s. Uh, she was on Ellen and stuff, and I've talked about her a couple of times.
1: She's Rosie she's the Riveter,
0: up. yeah, Rosie the Riveter, exactly. And she's uh, <laughs> but she talks about how people came together and this isn't the same kind of war. It's a different kind of scenario, but it's, I hope it's the same mentality. America has been through a lot. So what, having said all of that, what do you think is going to come of all this, especially in America, but globally, if you have any ideas and if not, that's okay.
1: You know, I don't want to get political because I know that this isn't a political kind of show. Um, So I won't, but I will say (laughs) that I think that in times of great challenge, we learn who we really are. So I don't think, you know, my friend Jackie Summers likes to say that challenge doesn't, it doesn't change us, it reveals us. And Mm. I think that this is a moment where this crisis is revealing who we are. It's revealing our character. It's revealing who we are in our finest hour. And I think there are going to be people who rise up to this challenge in a way that we are proud of. I like to think and I, I, you know, I, again, you mentioned that I that I uh, that I go live to you know my my tribe every day at 10 a.m. Eastern. And and
0: mm-hmm. today,
1: I, I as you know, I was just talking about when we look back on this, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 60 years from now, are we gonna say I was proud of who I was at the time, right? I was proud of who I was then. I was proud of the things that I did and the people that I care for and how I showed up in the world for the people I loved and the causes that I hold dear. And What do I think is going to happen from this is that I think a lot of us are going to realize what it is we actually care about, right? We are being forced to come to grips with what do we care about and what do we not care about. Are we struggling to keep our families alive and keep food on the table and keep toilet paper in our bathrooms by working a job that we hate? Mm. Or are we actually you know, trying to do the job that we love. And in the meantime, also making sure there's on the late and, and toilet paper, you know, so if we're being called to spend the majority of our waking hours doing a thing, doing a job, why yeah. are we doing it? And after the end of this, I don't think we're going to come out the other side and return to normal. I think we're going to come out the other side and there's going to be a new normal. And I think that new yeah. normal is whatever yeah. we make it out to be. Like, it's our choice. Like, it's in our hands. We get to decide what we want our life to look like on the other side of this. And yeah, there's economics of reality. And we all have to, you know, we all have to make ends meet. But we do have choices within that about how we do it. And I think there are gonna be a lot of struggles and a lot of hard times between now and then when we have to figure out how we make those transitions, maybe three years from now, maybe five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, but it is in this time that we have an opportunity to plant some of the seeds of what mm-hmm. we want to grow. And so I think, you know, there's that old, very tried expression that like, whatever you don't change, you accept. And I think this is our opportunity to decide what it is that we want to accept and what it is that we want to change when we get to the other side of this.
0: Yeah. And uh, interesting. And, you know, I like in your course and a lot of your work, you talk about this, this question of, do you have a full life or a full scorecard? How do you think that plays into all this or any time in life where there's challenges? Do you have a full life or a full scorecard? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, you know, to give a a little background to your listeners, the, the, the book that I wrote is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. And it starts with the, the subtitle, How to Ignore Everybody, (laughs) right? That's a very important part of the carving your own path and living your best life piece of it. Uh And when I talk about it from stage, I ask people to think about who gave them their definition of success, right? Like, Who was the person who said, you should go be an accountant, you should be a lawyer, you should be a teacher, you should, you know, be a stay-at-home parent. Like, you need to live in this house and drive that car and send your kids to, you know, this preschool program. Everybody Mm -hmm. has somebody, at least one, if not a handful of people who throughout their lives dropped these definitions of what success should look like um, into their world, whether it was intentional or, or unintentional. My fourth grade teacher told me I should be a lawyer because I was argumentative. Of course, I told her she was wrong because I was argumentative, (laughs) but then I proceeded to create a hat that got me to law school where I looked around the very first day and I was like, I don't belong here. This isn't where I want to be. I don't want to be a lawyer. And, but I had in my mind, the definition of success as you should be a lawyer. I plucked it out of thin air and I placed it at the top of my scorecard as if that was the thing that defined what success meant. And so each one of us are busy, 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 busy building these lives. And then we look around one day and we're like, well, if I've gotten all the things, checked off the scorecard, why am I not happy? Why do I still feel like something's missing? And what I say is, it's because you're so busy building this full scorecard that you didn't stop long enough to say, is that the scorecard for me? Or is mm. that the scorecard for my fourth grade teacher or my parent or my boss or whoever? And you know, I think this moment in time, this forced pause, is an opportunity to actually say, well, what is my definition of success, right? Like if doing all these things and building this full scorecard isn't making me happy, then what is the full life that I want to build which will?
0: Great. I, I bet your fourth grade teacher might be a little shocked and surprised at the influence she had in your early years. It's interesting how those things come about. Kids, it's very easy to plant a seed of some sort in a child's mind and hear your fourth grade or parents or what, because it happens with everybody in some capacity you need to do this you need to do that um is there something people can do from a young age like i said i've got eight and ten year old boys what should i be saying to them now to say let's ignore everybody because you don't want them to ignore their parents because i want i want to tell them to look both ways and across the street and all that kind of stuff but is there something we could do with kids a lot of people have their kids at home right now what can we do to teach our kids right now uh to do with a lot of your principles from a childhood standpoint
1: yeah, so, you know, it's funny. I've, I've been actually doing a lot of talking and a lot of writing these weeks since we've been home about how I've been parenting. And mm. I got asked by somebody to, um, to, to write them up more formally. And I was like, I'm not a parenting expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just making it up as I go along. So all caveat <laughs> here, this is not professional advice. <laughs> I know what works in my house with my children. But here's what I have found. I don't like being lectured to at all, right? Do you like being lectured to?
0: No, most Nobody of us Nobody likes
1: don't. it. Nobody likes to hear, you need to do this, you must do this, you have to do that. What they really want, what but we, what I like and what you like and what lots of people like, I'm guessing, is people asking you how you want to be part of upholding the community in which you find yourself. So- mm. Rather than telling my children they have to take out the trash every Monday, I just have a post-it note. I have a whole pile of post-it notes on my freezer (laughs) that are like, these are the daily tasks, right? Like walk the dog, there's two of those because she has to get walked twice. Uh, wipe down all the surfaces with the Clorox, uh, Clorox bleach, wash your hands and empty the dishwasher. You know, there's like things like that that have to happen every day. Then there's a different mm-hmm. color for Mondays, a different color for Tuesdays, different color for <laughs> Wednesdays, on through the week. And then like there's a it. different color for long range projects like, uh-huh. you know, clean out the closet or straighten up the playroom or, you know, get rid of the old toys you don't play with anymore, things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And the very first day that we were locked inside, I walked around the house like, have you walked the dog yet? Did you take out the trash yet? And I was okay. basically nagging everybody. And I felt like I had self-imposed the stress upon myself because I had self-imposed a role of being prison warden and, you know, um, cruise director and, you know, mm-hmm. circus, uh, circus, uh, uh, trainer. And I was doing, I felt like I had to do everything. And what I decided was, you know what? I don't need to do that. I'm just gonna put a pile of Post-its on the freezer of the things that have to happen every day, the things that have to happen each day, and I don't care who does them. I'll do some of them, they'll do some of them, and at the end of the day, the only expectation is you do something to uphold this family. You do something to uphold this community under our roof. And by the end of every day at dinner, we go, okay, great, everything's done, what didn't get done, how do we know, how are we gonna do better tomorrow? And I ask them four simple questions. What did you do today for your mind? What did you do today for your body? What did you do today for your soul? And what did you do today for your family? Mm, And sometimes it may be for my mind, I read a book. For my body, I um, exercised. Or they might say, I rested and I didn't do anything. I slept late. You know, for my soul, I played Xbox with my friends. For my family, I did the dog walking and the dishwasher emptying. But Mm. it allowed everybody to have a, a role in our family where they could live into being their own kind of leader and they could live into being an upholder of this community broadly. So rather than lecture them, about how they had to be right now, because I don't even know how I'm supposed to be right now. Like this is all brand new. We're yeah. all figuring out there is no, user's manual for how to manage your, you know, crumbling work and your, you know, your, your stressful relationships and technology that's failing in the middle of a crisis. I certainly yeah. not going a parent in the middle of it, but so of, I don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. I'm just going to put up what everybody needs to be doing. And then people can live into that in whatever way they feel like doing in that day with the expectation that they just have to do something. Yeah. So that's how I'm parenting right now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I like that you're finding a sense of balance with these four questions. And I like the little lawyer-like disclaimer you had at the beginning that you're not an expert. So that helps too. Um, So when it comes to these areas that we're doing, you talk about the body and the soul and the uh, family and uh, your mind, as I recall. Um, not in that order, <laughs> but what, what is it? Uh, cause you use this word a lot consonants and I haven't heard cause a lot of times people who are in this space kind of regurgitate a lot of the same stuff that's been around. I haven't heard the word consonants from anyone but you, and that's not to say I'm some expert either, but tell us about consonants because to me it comes from a flow of uh, poetry and maybe even music and things. Um, but in context of what you teach,
1: Yeah, so your sound went out just at the very end there, so I hope I didn't just talk over you. Um, But uh, so consonance. Consonance is, is, it's the opposite of dissonance. Like we all know dissonance, right? When things are noisy and they're fighting against each other and it's like organ rejection. But consonance is, it's alignment, it's flow. It's when the very best of what you do is being called upon to solve a problem that you care about and you're being rewarded for solving that problem in some way that is emotionally or financially meaningful to you, right? That's when you feel like you could walk through walls, you could jump over buildings, you could you could um you could fly like you just it's this weightless uh, feeling of this frictionless feeling of belonging, of momentum. And we yeah. all had those moments in our life where we felt like we were in consonance, whether we were on stage giving a huge speech or we were uh, nailing a presentation and winning the deal, or we were wooing the girl or the guy, or maybe it was a quiet moment with a loved one or helping a colleague through a difficult, intractable problem. We've all had those moments where we've been like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was awesome. I was awesome in that moment, right? I was like empowered and I was capable and I crushed it. And they're like these little glimpses, these little glimmers of brilliance that we have. And what I write about in Limitless is I try to help build out a framework for people of how to find those moments and then had to build more of them into our lives because that's where yeah. we find our success actually equals happiness. That's when we really have that joy and that spark and that momentum. So, you know, I, I spent 20 years interviewing thousands of leaders when I did executive search. And what I realized was that the people who had built the full scorecards mm-hmm. and had success on paper didn't feel successful in real life. But the people who had consonants where what they did matched who they were. Those are the ones who were just, they were in such alignment and such flow that they were even more successful at the work that they decided they wanted to do.
0: Very good points. Thank you for sharing that. I, uh, yeah, I think about as a flow, I think of Tony Robbins uses a term called a beautiful state, which is I think very general, but it's also, uh, something of, of a mindset of a flow that is probably in line with what you're talking about. I like to use the word alignment. My, my listeners will probably get worn out because I refer to that. I, someone taught me a long time ago that the word joy in other languages, I think, including Hebrew refers to an alignment. Um, and so, there's there or it also refers to a return to something, and is there a way that we return to consonants, so to speak? Because I think it's a natural state uh, that we're supposed to be in. We're the ones who get out of alignment, out of tune. Um, is there is there a recipe <laughs> to get to that state that you're describing?
1: Yeah. So in my book, I talk about it having four key elements, and they all start with C. Um, it, there's calling, connection, contribution, and control. And each one of us is going to want and need different amounts of calling, connection, contribution, and control at different moments in our lives. So what you need and what I need will be very different. What will put us in consonants will be very different, but the person you are today versus the person you were 10 years ago versus Mm -hmm. the person you are 10 years from now will also need a very different rubric of consonants. So the the four elements I'll go through really quickly are uh, calling, Calling is this gravitational force. It's like the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. It's, it's, it is a business you want to build, a bottom line that you want to grow, a leader who inspires you, a cause you want to serve. If you're an entrepreneur, it could be your own self, right? your own business that you're creating. It could be a family that you want to nurture. Mm-hmm. Then there's connection. Connection really answers the question of, does your work matter? If you didn't show up in front of your Zoom conference call this morning, would anybody know, would anybody care? Do you see a direct line between the work that you're doing and that calling that you want to serve? The third piece is contribution. If connection's all about the work, contribution's really about you. How does this work, this brand, this company, this family, this product, this leader allow you to have the kind of career trajectory you're looking for? How does it uh, give you the lifestyle that you want to live? Does it allow you to manifest your values on a daily basis? And then the last Mm -hmm. piece is control. And control really answers the question of how much personal agency do you have to affect how much your work connects to that calling and how much it contributes to your life. And so each one of us at different ages and different life stages are going to need and want different pieces of this. And how we, the, to answer the question of whether or not we return to consonants, I think we don't return to consonants. I think consonants, are need, are personal recipe for confidence continues to grow and evolve. And we don't return to where it was if we allow ourselves the grace to understand that, well, maybe at this point in my life, I wanna make a lot of money and I wanna be able to afford that second home. So I'm gonna do work I don't care that much about necessarily. And it isn't that connected to my calling because I want it to contribute to the vacation home. Or maybe you say, wow, what I really realized in this time of crisis is that I've been on the road way too much. And even though I feel like the work is directly related to, you know, to, to the work I'm doing, what I really want is I wanna actually have dinner with my family every night cause that's been pretty nice. So my definition, my need, my recipe for continent continues to evolve and change as I evolve and change. And so I don't know that we return to consciousness so much as we let it evolve and we allow ourselves the grace to continue to discover and rediscover it.
0: Oh, that makes sense because we are constantly, hopefully growing people. uh, And so some of the factors and details surrounding that will, will change as well. Um, Is there, now you've got this course and I've had the privilege of kind of going through some of the beta uh group of that course and and i've got to say it's excellent like the material is is first of all very well done very like high production quality uh but also yeah and also the the content is is top notch i mean you just can't go because it's one thing to have beautifully done video but if it's all just garbage material which yours isn't and it's all video for the most part there's also workbook and there's some other uh, great tools and uh I could just go on and on and on, but let's talk about these four Cs a little bit more in depth. And and right now, again, with everything going, it's all in context of where we are as as a world, as a society, with this virus and stuff going around. Um, A lot of people are talking about, well, you're cooped up in your house. Why don't we be more creative? Why don't we develop that skill or that side hustle or these various terms people use? Um, How do we how do we find our calling? Because when you say calling, it kind of uh implies that it's a specific thing person by person is there do you have any keys for that
1: yeah so i think everybody is going to have their 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 own ideas about i think you know i think what's important is to think about well why do we get calling wrong and i think we get calling wrong because we think that it has to be purpose this like lofty purpose this bigger this bigger goal that we have. Um, it has to be like Mother Teresa feeding the lepers in, in India. And yeah. it doesn't have to be, right? Your purpose is only your purpose. And I think we have, we, we give votes in our lives to people who shouldn't even have voices. And so when we do that, we get completely <laughs> off track about what our calling should be. So what I ask people to do is to really spend some time figuring out what fuels you, right? Like what really matters to you? And when you think about what really matters to you, it, it is everything from where do you spend your time when you could spend your time on anything? What do you, what do you, actually, um, what do you actually do? Where do you actually, uh, like what kinds of books do you read? What sorts of hobbies do you have? What kinds of people do you interact with? And when you, uh, when you start to think about those things, it really shows you where you want to put your energy. So like the best way to figure out what you want to do is to figure out what you actually do. Do what causes you joy? What motivates you? Where do you feel most yourself? And in the course, I have people go through a number of exercises where they can actually think about this both in their work life and their personal life. Whether it's you know in in the uh, their places of worship or their community organizations or the jobs that they have. And when they go through some of those exercises, it becomes very clear what actually fuels them and where they want to spend their time, whether it's yeah, because of yeah. the cause or the leader or the company uh, you know, or the, the, the cause or, or whatever the case may be for them.
0: Okay. Great points. I, somebody said recently something along those lines too that resonated with me about people we look up to. Um, and it seems like most of us have some people we look up to, uh, but a lot of times that that can be kind of a hint of things that are, maybe developing in you that maybe could be talents. If, if I looked up to LGO, which I do, or uh, Tony Robbins or uh, some hockey player, you know, I grew up playing music. I looked up to, I played drums. So I looked up to a lot of drummers and stuff. I think we talked about that last time, <laughs> about how yeah. you that. but I digress. The people that we look up to a lot of times give us a hint as to what our calling might be too. And uh, so I think there's that. And Interesting. You say the, and I've heard you say this about giving votes to people who shouldn't have voices.
1: Hmm.
0: You've got your kids up on the internet because everyone's at home, huh?
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're in school right now. So a really good exercise um, for people to go through. And I think if you started um, moving your way through the course, you'll see this as one of the ones in one of the early modules uh, is to think about community, education, faith, family, freedom, health, impact justice money personal growth like what are the the areas that are most important to you and then why why are those things important to you what are the things that you do like why is community important to you why is education important to you why is faith important to you and how do you manifest the way that you show that importance on a daily basis and i think that's both like the aspects of your life that where you're where you're where you're demonstrating that those are actually important aspects to you. But I think it also is, as you were saying, the people that you look up to. I talked this morning a lot about how I think that we all need to have three specific people in our inner circle, right? We need to have uh, somebody who we can mentor because I think that uh, having somebody that having somebody that we can teach something to helps people get over that imposter syndrome that that concern that we might not belong and it really teaches you that you really do have something to, 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 to give and, uh, and and something that's of value to other people. I think having somebody who is your peer so you have somebody that sort of is on the same journey as you are, and they can Uh, there's somebody that you can celebrate with, there's somebody that you can commiserate with, but they're also somebody who can just hold you accountable, right? You can hold each other accountable. And then I think somebody that you aspire to is also important. And when we think about our calling, looking for people who also share those same callings and seeing how they manifest them on on a a daily basis, I think really matters a lot because we really are the combination of the people that we keep closest to us. That's a Jim Rohn quote, you're the the average of people, the five closest people to you. Yeah. But I think the, the, um, uh, there's a better one by uh, John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach who talks yeah. about how you will never outperform your inner circle. And so, you know, I think thinking about the people who are in your inner circle and do they share the same kind of calling that you do will really help you understand whether or not you're truly, that's truly your calling or whether or not that's one of those just like look good goals. Like you put it on the wall and it looks really good for other people to see, but- you know, you don't want to tell everyone that your calling is just buying a Maserati in a beach house. You're going to tell them your calling is curing cancer. But what I'm here to say is if your calling is buying the Maserati in the beach house, then great. That's your calling. That's totally (laughs) cool. And I'm not going to purpose shame anybody, but I think it's super important to be really honest with yourself about the calling because I think everything else kind of goes from there.
0: Well, yeah. And if you talk about the Maserati in the beach house, we're talking also about all these C's kind of intertwining of Uh, calling connection contribution control so when you say contribution I think that has to flow through that too and if you're going to get the Maserati in the beach house which is assuming you're not a trust fund baby of some sort that that uh, there's going to be some sort of contribution uh, of necessity as well Um, so uh, now we talk about connection such a to me that's a very important word I come from a really wacky family situation myself and there's not a lot of connection there unfortunately i mean there there are certain individual levels and relationships um and and you talk about this inner circle too a lot of people are cooped up with their inner circle and hopefully it's a good inner circle um how how do we best uh, develop this connection uh part of the of the process in terms of cuz there's various levels of that you got family you've got business you've got maybe if someone plays music like i did you've got a band or something i was always told by my drum teachers uh, play with musicians who are better than you so that you get better. Yeah. So t- talk to me about connection and all that. I don't mean to be long winded. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I think connection really is um, does your work matter, right? Like all the people that you're spending time with and all the things that you're doing, are they actually getting you any closer to achieving that calling to achieving the goals that you've set up for yourself? And I think we get super busy. I mean, I think right now, especially, I think what's happening is that people are like, Hey, I need to pick your brain about something. And our response is, yeah, anytime I'm free all day. Right. Cause (laughs) we're all, we got nowhere to go. Um, And, and what I was finding, you know, so here in Boston, as I mentioned, we're about a week ahead of, you know, a lot of other parts of the country. So this is now our third week in lockdown. So tomorrow will be three full weeks since my kids have been out of school. Like we are, you know, it's,
0: Yeah. They say
1: it's like 21 days to make a new habit. Like tomorrow is our habit. We are here. Um, And what I found for the first week is that I was offering people anytime they wanted. Like, are you free? I'm free. Let's talk anytime. And what I realized was there are, there are people that I talk to who bring out the best in me. There are times of the day when I do my very best work And if I don't get my workout in the morning, it just doesn't happen. Like I could put the yoga pants on and, you know, the workout, the jog bra and all that stuff on, and I could have the best intention to work out. But if I don't do it in the morning, it doesn't happen. And so what I realized was that just like in my regular day where I don't give away my my precious, most uh, creative time, I don't give away my precious, most uh, creative time now. I was giving it away because I was like, oh, you want to talk? Sure, I'm free all day set up Mm -hmm. that call for 9 a.m. in the morning. But it turns out that 9 a.m. in the morning is the time after I've exercised, after I've showered, after I've had my tea, where I'm like, all the ideas flow out. And so I stopped giving that time away. And so, you know, the way that I stay connected to the calling that I want, the way I stay connected to the work I really want to do is I ask myself some very important questions about whether or not the ask I'm getting is just like, somebody throwing spaghetti at the wall and I happen to be the wall and I catch some of it or if it actually matters, like, does this work actually matter to me? Does this interaction actually matter to me? Mm -hmm. Is the, you know, is the fight I'm having with my family actually important, right? Like what is it that I want to be doing? What kind of family do I want to support? What kind of business do I want to build? What kind of writing do I want to put out there? And is the work that I'm doing and the way that I'm structuring my day, allowing me to be the very best version of that. And so when I talk about connection, I really talk about how does, How do your daily actions, your daily tasks, your calendar, your inbox, um, your to-do list, how do those things interact with that calling that you've set out for yourself and a thing that you want to achieve? And so throughout the course, the exercises that are there are really helping people not just figure out how to say no, because you you can find that anywhere on the internet, but like what to actually say yes to, how to be strategic in the way that you say yes to things right now.
0: Excellent points. And I I mean, and even with us scheduling this, you said you had a work block, because I suggest, hey, let's do this time. And you said, well, I have a work block in there. And so we, of course, respected that. And uh, I think that's great, because it's a lot of these folks talk about chunking your time. And, And when you talk about thinking about what's most important, how often should we reassess that, do you think? I mean, because it's so easy, again, from a musical analogy, you play a guitar and it gets out of tune regularly. And so you got to tune the strings, you know, tighten them and whatnot. Um, how often should we be tightening the strings in our lives, so to speak, to stay in tune?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that's...
0: It's I like would say that your mileage
1: may vary, right? I think everybody, everybody's different. And I think that... Um, So we have a piano in our in our home and uh, we're supposed to get it tuned every year. Yeah, except it's right in front of like it's it's an upright piano. So it's right in front of this big storage closet that we have. It's sort of like hidden underneath the staircase. And um, what happens is that every time we move the piano to get into the storage closet, because I've decided there's something that I need to look at that's in there. I need to get something (laughs) out of there. The piano gets out of tune. So like if your piano is just sitting against the wall, you can tune it every year and you're fine. But if you're futzing with it all the time and moving it around, then it gets out of tune more often. So I think for individuals, if you are in stasis right now, like maybe you've you've got young children and you you know in three or four years they're both gonna be in elementary school and so the rhythm of your life changes. Or maybe you've got older children like me where in three or four years you're gonna be an empty nester. Or maybe Mm -hmm. you're looking at um, yourself and you're like, I've got another year before I get out of graduate school and then I do something. So we have these moments that are natural on ramps and off ramps of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think for any of those things, like if you're waiting to pay off some debt or if you've got, you know, sick parents or whatever the case may be for you in your life. If you're like, I want to do that, but I'll be able to start making moves. Then, right. Whatever the then is. I think those are the moments where it's, it's easier to make change because you have that natural on-ramp or on-ramp. So I think the doing it maybe the six months or the year before those times come. That's a great opportunity to say, Hmm, when I have this massive external change to my life is the internal thing that I'm doing going to stay the same or will I be affected by it? You know, I mm. thought that my calling my need for connection, my the contribution control, I thought it was all going to be the same after I sold a business that I founded and ran for 15 years to the people who helped me build it. And then all of a sudden, I had this crisis of identity, I had this like, oh, my God, total like midlife crisis, because I didn't know who I was when I was no longer LGO CEO. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't had the forethought to think, oh, my piano is going to get really out of tune because I'm really rooting around in the storage closet. So I think, you know, I, I, it would be easy for me to say people should do this every three to five years. But the truth is, I think that there are some three to five years that look a lot like the three to five years before. And then there are some three to five years where every six months looks different. So I think everybody, you know, as I said, your mileage may vary on this.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, it sounds like it's more a matter of principles that you fine-tune within the scope of whatever your life is, but constantly striving, growing, and reassessing as needed and finding, like you do with your kids, trying to find balance in that process too. Um, Absolutely.
1: When, when, I, when I ran my recruiting firm, I used to ask questions in the very early parts of the interviews where I would ask people about a parent, a sibling, a mentor, a teacher, a person of the clock. Um, maybe it was a diagnosis, maybe it was a world tragedy, maybe it was some kind of event, there was always something where the person figured out who they were, right? Like you were the, this person before and then something happened and you were this person after. And just talking to people about who the people were in their lives who were meaningful, who helped them think through things, who maybe affected them, maybe they had... Uh, maybe they had characteristics that they wanted to emulate. Maybe there was a major moment where they were forced to change everything they were doing. But talking to them about the people and the moments in their lives where, that, that they really felt shaped them would give me so much insight and it would really open the door to having these incredibly rich conversations with these candidates that I would always start my my conversations in that place. I mean, I went in deep and I went in deep fast, um, but those are the moments. So, you know, for listeners that are like, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure when to do this, I'm growing, I'm evolving, it's constantly changing. I think it's exhausting to be constantly self-assessing and reevaluating and self-studying, but also we're stuck in here, right? Like we're, we're in here all day, every day, and now we're stuck inside all day, every day. So this is a great moment, right? We've got time, we've got time on our hands. And you know, those personal development books that you bought because you wanted to um, <laughs> develop personally, what a great time to crack them open. Or if you decide you don't want to read them, like throw that struggling author a bone and buy the audiobook and listen to it while you finally clean out the fridge or whatever the things are that are on your like, look, good goals. I want to get these done one day list.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I think like anything, but especially time like now, it's, uh, it's always valuable to, to, you know, I know it's a, a, a kind of an overused cliche to look at the bright side, but there's always a bright side. There's always a flip side to the coin. And if you're going through something, you talk about on-ramps and off-ramps, like every off-ramp by default is some form of on-ramp somewhere else. So you get off at Main Street and now you're on Main Street and you're not on the freeway or whatever, so to speak. And I always like analogies too like that because – what we're talking about with our lives is you're kind of you're building something. I think about a house. We're both in houses at the moment, and there's a process there. You 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 know you dig and lay a foundation, and then you start to build the framing, and then you throw down the electrical and the heating and cooling, and then the drywall. East America, this is how we do it, and uh, so it's it's you got to get to know yourself. It sounds like you got to kind of get to know your process, what works for you, who you are what you're about. And that's an ongoing process. We don't hold ourselves. Maybe some of us hold ourselves to big high standards of perfectionism. Do you have any thoughts on perfectionism as we we're getting close to wrap up here too, but um, I, for one struggle with perfectionism. I don't know about you, but what do you think about that part of it? Because sometimes we hold ourselves too high of a standard and and then we beat ourselves up.
1: (laughs) So I don't know that the problem is that we hold ourselves to too high of a standard. I think that the problem is that we hold ourselves to other people's standards. Mm. So again, you know, I wrote yeah. a book called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. So I'm all about the ignoring everybody part. And I think, you know, we have these insatiable, unreachable or insidious unreachable goals that make us insatiable. We think that, you know, I'll be happy when I get this, I'll be happy when I get that. It tells us we can't be happy now, or the like. Life has to be perfectly work-life balanced, as if God forbid there's ever any connection between the two. We live in a social media world. There's always connection between the two, um, or uh, you know, th- these 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 annoying flower crown girls that are staring out over Coachella, and telling us to follow our passion. And so we have these we have these ridiculous goals that we're supposed to be reaching that are set by someone else. And so I would ask people this question what does perfection mean to you? Right? Like it doesn't have to be that every single thing, like, like here, like for example, I have, I have this raging issue about green screens right now. Right. So we're all working from home. We're all hot messes. I'm sitting here in my like workout clothes with my bookshelf <laughs> my plate, and yeah. I get on the call with somebody and you know, you can see my bookshelf, right? You can see, I've got my books there. I've got, you know, uh, uh, my, my, uh, Beautiful little box with my thank you notes. I think if somebody writes me a handwritten thank you note, I should honor that and keep it. I've got yeah. a little piece of art that my kids made me. I think if you look a little higher, you'll see. You know, I've got some like you know marathon medals and a thing from you know running uh, from from racing in a in a rowing race. I have a dollar that's the first dollar I made. You know, with my old business. There's my baby shoes. I got like all sorts of stuff about me. And you're seeing, and you're like, oh. I get to know Laura a little bit. Like, I get to see her. I get to understand her. I know who she is. I trust her. And then we yeah. have people that are putting up these fake green screens that are behind them. And <laughs> we don't learn a thing about them. And here's the thing. Like, you have nothing that's behind you right now. It's a blank wall. That's fine. Yeah. But there are people who put fake things behind them, which is their way of saying to me, I don't even... Not only am I not letting you into my life, I'm intentionally keeping you out of my life. And I think so many of us right now are trying to figure out like, how do we pivot and how do we continue to sell and how do we continue to communicate? and How do we continue to engage in this moment where we have to do everything online? The way to do that is to not to sell. The way to do that is to build trust, right? Like you need to sell trust. At the end of the day, people will not buy what you were selling, they will buy who you are. And so if you want to look for perfection in anything, I would say be perfect in just being you. Show Mm. me who you are, because when you show me who you are, I love you and I know you and I believe you and I trust you. But when you don't, I'm actually left feeling lonelier and with more doubts than before we even started the conversation. So Mm. if you want to perfect something, just perfect being you. That's the only thing you need to perfect.
0: Yeah, I love all that. That's a great point. I don't know me having my blank wall behind me. I don't know what metaphor that speaks to about me. (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, But yeah, when we in America, I think, invented the green screen and started out with blue screens to do the weather and stuff. But then we use them for movies and all these other things. Um, And I think there's some symbolism uh, and metaphor and all that, too. Uh, But it sounds like what you're saying when it comes to perfection is uh, there's nothing wrong with having lofty goals and people who've achieved amazing things, many of them say, make your goals huge. It's that old thing about, you know, reach for the moon and maybe you'll land among the stars kind of thing, which ironically, the stars are farther. But uh, <laughs> the, the striving for perfection, there's nothing wrong with that. But beating ourselves up in the process is where we then start to create an unhealthy relationship with ourselves. Uh, so it, it's kind of trying to find that balance. And we're all, we're all works in progress. So, you know, I, for one, have gone to counseling and therapy and we can kind of work through your issues if you are beating yourself up and figure out, well, why am I doing that? Um, is there anything else you want to add? Because I know, uh, well, I'd love to chat with you all day, but we all got other things we got to do too. And we can continue to talk over time. But um, as far as contribution control or any of the other things related to this virus that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up, last kind of thoughts.
1: Um, so here, here's what I would say. I would okay. say that we are all worried about how do we get through this right now? And how do we put food on the table right now? And how do we sell right now? And how do we make lots of money right now? I don't know that there's a lot of current money to be had. And as an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, it's devastating, mm-hmm. right? Like our businesses are both like gone, they're evaporated right now, they will come back. But yep. I think how they come back will be in will, will be in, in direct relation to how we act right now. So. Yeah, I'm working on this course. I'm putting it out there hopefully in April. I'm hoping to put it out there for free in the beginning um, just so I can you know get it out and get it going and get people to test it. But then I also plan to charge a lot of money for it later right that's my that's my goal and my hope is that if i put it out to a lot of people now and you know i posted on facebook that i wanted to ask a few friends to test it and 150 people responded within the first hour they wanted to do it so that was you know humbling and wonderful and great but my thinking is this future money is more than current money every day of the week future money is always worth more than current money so Um, if you cannot make any current money right now because everything is just sort of quiet and dead and everyone's waiting and seeing, what can you do right now to maximize what your future money is going to be? Who can you get out in front of? Who can you talk to? Where can you be of service? Where can you provide value? Are there people that you're like, I wish that person would just try me out if only I could just get in front of them? Well, you can do it right now. Get in front of them. Get in front of them for free. offer your services, offer something that you can do, because my guess is that if you do that, and you show them you have true value, then they'll hire you later for future money. And that future money will be worth much more than current money.
0: Yeah, yeah, great, great points. I've heard uh, several things along those lines from people that if when we come out of this, and again, hopefully sooner rather than later, we don't know for sure. uh, We're in a place where we have an opportunity. And, and like we talked about the bright side of it and the development and spending time with family, a lot of people people are speculating is this going to bring more people are going to be having more babies or more divorces or whatever but it sounds to me from what i'm hearing that overall this is a good thing for families and couples people are spending time together and i'm sure there's some exceptions <laughs> but uh, let's make the most of it i guess is is how we maybe sum it up from what you're saying
1: yeah look i mean look we can only control what we can control and we can't control the rest and so you know, rather than getting stressed and anxious and worried about all the things we can't control, I'm just gonna double down on what I can control. And what I can control is who is in my Facebook feed, who I yeah. follow on Twitter, where I'm getting my news. I can double down on uh, the, the, you know, the my dedication to my work and being able to put out, you know, good material, being of service yes. to others. I can double down on my relationship with my husband and my kids. I can double down on reaching out to my family members and my friends. Other than that, I can't control much else. I can't control what the government's doing. I can't control what the virus is doing. I can't control what everybody else is doing, but I can control these things. And if I can control those things to the best of my ability, show up in the perfect version of me, right? The best version that I can be of myself Mm -hmm. in this time. So that in six months and six years and six years, when I tell my grandchildren about this crazy time, I can say I was really proud of the person I was then.
0: Yeah, that's
1: it. it. That is the only standard that I'm holding myself up to right now.
0: And that's that's very freeing. It sounds like because you're not putting everything on your shoulders, because that would be, first of all, incorrect, because the virus and other things are out of our control. So Mm -hmm. there's, let's free ourselves and, and take control of the things that we can and, uh, you know, come out of this with some, some positive uh, development and so on. Uh again, the book Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody. Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. And I love it. There it is, right behind you. I love that. It's a great cover. Who's I think I internet? lost you. Uh oh. Lost you again. All right. Well, so there we yeah, are. so that's me. I Let's... just
1: want to tell your listeners they can find me on all the social media channels. As you mentioned, I'm LGO. So at hey L G O is where they can find me everywhere. And I'd love to hear from people.
0: Cool. And the course is going to be called what now exactly? Is it, is it well, also a limitless? limitless
1: course? So if you find me okay. anywhere on social media at Hey LGO um, or if you go to heylgo.com and sign up for my newsletter list, you will absolutely positively hear about the course. And um, we'll make sure that you have a link that you can send out for all of your people as well, as soon as it launches.
0: Cool. Cool. And anyone looking, once this all clears, anyone looking for a great public speaker? Here she is. <laughs> Laura gassner Thank you so much much. for everything. Let's stay in touch. And for our listeners, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.